you know, he's a May foe, would have never been ready to win the Derby if it was on May 2nd. Didn't like the crowd noise as a younger horse. Fast forward to the Derby in September. No fans there yelling and screaming. Now he's had a chance to mature, and he wins the Derby. So, I mean, Bob did a great job of training, but you've got to you got to have a little bit of luck to pull something like that off. Hey everyone, Benjamin Block here, and welcome into the latest episode of Block's Corner. That voice you just heard belongs to Starlight Racing's Jack Wolf, who's part of the ownership group of the horse Authentic. And come Thursday, January 28th, when the Eclipse Awards comes to TVG, we're going to find out whether or not Authentic is the horse of the year. And so Jack joined me and we talked about that, among many other topics including the business of racing, how Starlight got started, where the business might be trending, and a little bit of an outlook for 2021. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Jack. I guess there's a reason why they call it the sport of kings. You must be feeling like royalty or somewhat like a king right now yourself. You have authentic up for horse of the year and three-year-old male. You already have five Eclipse Awards under your belt and the 50th anniversary of the Eclipse Awards this year are taking place on Thursday, January 28th. Jack, can you tell me at all how you must be feeling? How is this all resonating with you? Well, it's... it's very exciting that you bring up the uh, sport of kings that you know, talking to somebody the other day about about that how this business has really evolved from an ownership standpoint where you know the king very wealthy bred and owned and um, got their horses and uh, their offspring to the track and then cod campbell came along i guess he was probably one of the first guys to have some success, you know, putting together partnerships. And then, you know, from there, I mean, his model was sort of like, um, you know, buying a horse at sale and then, you know, carving up, you know, a leg to one person here and uh, another person there and, and what have you. And, um, and then, you know, um, Eclipse is, is a partnership that's out there and, and ours is one that's that's out there, and it sort of evolved. I thought we were pretty special in that we only had like twelve partners, whereas you know West Point or Eclipse would have you know hundreds, and and gave us some individuality. And, and even at a, to go to a step further, the my racehorse people with the micro shares. Uh, you know, they had like, I think, 5,000 people that bought a share of Authentic for 500 bucks or whatever it was. Yeah, so, I think I read you have over 5,300 uh, micro shares. Well, I don't, but <laughs> that, yeah, that was my, my racehorse does. And um, uh, Michael Barron's just put this thing together and joined up with Spendthrift and TaylorMade. And uh, it's really amazing how how this this syndicate slice partnership has evolved through the years and uh uh, we've got a little operation in australia now that we're buying horses and 
Uh, it's amazing down there. <clears throat> uh, syndicate is, is the way to go. And like one out of every 22 people down in Australia own a piece of a horse. So oh, wow. I, I just I thought it was interesting. You bring up the term sport of kings and there's not too many kings in our partnership. So, <laughs> <laughs> And you bring up an interesting point about partnership because as I was doing some research, it seems that there's a lot of ownership groups, especially, you know, for horses like a Justify that you had a few years ago that the last one to win the Triple Crown and also with Authentic, of course. Is that the case? Whereas the more promise that a horse has or the higher the expectations for the horse that it's typical to see an ownership group instead of Starlight, for example, being a sole owner? So we for years have basically gone to the yearling sales and buy yearlings and, you know, break them and, historically given the horses to Todd Pletcher and it's been Starlight to 10 to, I don't know, 14, 12 partners and owning a hundred percent of the horse. Um, you know, uh, Tom Ryan with the SF bloodstock approached this, uh, uh, he wanted to keep the breeding rights on Justify and a couple of other horses. And we, we lease the racing rights, uh, I mean, he would have sold the whole his his percentage, but uh, it was more than what we wanted to pay for it. So I did, a, I guess, a fairly uh, unique deal uh, with Justify and leased the racing rights and had a you know heck of a good time with the horse. Um, you lease the racing rights and the horse goes undefeated, so uh, <laughs> pretty lucky. But uh, flash forward to uh authentic uh, we actually did buy uh in with sf as a yearling on authentic and then once he was showing a lot of promise we uh we got a number of offers for breeding rights and racing rights and uh, we sold 100 percent of the uh the breeding rights to spendthrift and then sal Coman and myself or not myself starlight stayed in for a small percentage of the racing rights Okay. And Spinthrift is where Authentic is now standing. He retired, I think, in November, shortly after the Breeders. So how early before November was that deal struck with Spinthrift, giving them 100% of the breeding rights? I want to say off the top of my head, it was like the week before the Santa Anita Derby. Uh, okay. And, which you can check and see when that was. But uh, uh you know, the week before that, and uh, he ran second to Honor AP. I think that's who he ran second to, and then uh, skipped the Belmont, ran in the uh, Haskell, and then the Derby Preakness and uh, Breeders. And yet, so the, Santa, the Santa Anita was, I think, the first week of June back in 2020. So, okay, shortly before then. Got it. And I think both sides got a good deal. Uh, especially Spinthrift, who stands uh, Authentic's father. And uh, in the initiative, knock right. Yes. And I, actually, in the mischief's father is Harlan's Holiday, who we owned and raced and uh, was literally the first horse that we, my wife and I bought when we got into business in uh, 2020, uh, 2020, geez, in, <laughs> in 2000. <laughs> the past uh, year has felt like has felt like 20 years, huh? <laughs> Yeah, so it's interesting that Harlan's holiday turned out to what he was and helped us 
survived the racing business. And then he throws in the mischief, who is arguably the best guy in, I know, North America anyway. And uh, then uh, we get authentic by him, and uh, here we are. That's really interesting, and I want to put a pin in talking you know, about <clears throat> about Harlan's holiday because I know how special he was and how he really served as a source of inspiration behind Starlight and, as you said, kind of kept you afloat early on when you started the business with your wife 20 years ago. I didn't know that Harlan's holiday was the sire of Inner Mischief. I knew that Inner Mischief was the sire of Authentic, so that's that's a very interesting connection it seems like authentic is definitely gonna either win horse of the year and or the three-year-old male back in december he already won the secretariat the voice of the people award so if that's not a strong indication that the people just fell in love with authentic it seems that the award either one or both are going to come your way how confident are you that you're going to take home the awards and how much does it mean well, it, it means a lot. I mean, not to jinx the horse on either award, but it, it seems like everything I read that uh, those are the two awards that he should get. And uh, and I think he deserves both. And hopefully uh, the voters, you know, agree with me. And, uh, we've we've had a few Eclipse awards in the past, and it's it's. Uh, I'm sure in your research you, you saw we had a shadow who actually is in the Hall of Fame. She uh, she won, won some of these Eclipse Awards and Breeders' Cup trophies and stuff. So the whole thing is is really very special, and it's special to the partners and, and to their families, too. Right, and Ashado, 2004, 2005, and then in 2012, you resurfaced again with Shanghai Bobby, 2018, obviously with Justify, and now 2020, potentially with Authentic. So it's been a nice run. Let's circle back to what you were talking about with Harlan's Holiday. Now, he was the first horse that you and your wife bought and really helped establish Starlight Racing. Can you talk about how important of a horse he was and just what his legacy means? Uh, funny story how I got, got on this horse. Uh, uh, Menifee, who, had, who was by Harlan, uh, won the bluegrass the year before and I had a nice size bet on him, and uh, so I, I was always a, a fan of Menifee's. And so the first year I was in the business, so Laurie and I, it was at the Phasic Tipton July sale in 2000, and Laurie and I had to leave, and we left instructions with our uh, bloodstock agent. Uh, I don't care what you buy, but make sure you buy the best uh, yearling here and it's by Harlan and uh, he did a good job <laughs> that one <laughs> that's it. And, and uh so that's how we got on it uh I mean I think the Harlans were averaging five to ten thousand as yearlings and, and uh, I think the number we paid was 97.5 or whatever it was and uh but uh obviously from a financial standpoint <clears throat> He um, he started and broke his maiden as a two-year-old. Uh, won a stake race at uh, Churchill as a two-year-old, and obviously did what he did as a three-year-old, and went in as a favorite at the Derby, and I want to say ran six or seven, something like that. But then flash forward, once we retired the horse, we retired him to Airdrie Stud. <coughs> uh, 
we kept a percentage of him and I actually bought some broodmares to support him. And, um, he's a great stallion. And like, like you say, um, helped us continue financially to, to stay in the business. And, uh, eventually he moved to Windstar and, uh, I don't know, after about the third year or so, uh, they were shuttling him to uh, South America, I believe. And, uh, he didn't make it back one year, so wow. that was that. So, but yeah, not to be on a negative note, but yeah, he he was uh, the key um, to a lot of fun and uh, a lot of enjoyment and good financial return. And you're a guy who, before entering into the the horse ownership world, came from that financial world. Am I right? You were what were you doing in finance, and then you were even a professor. I'm not sure if the two had the two went together or not. What was your life before Starlight? Well, when I got out of college, I went to Murray State and uh, played football there, and ended up getting a master's in economics. Didn't know what I wanted to do, so. I took a job teaching at a junior college for a few years outside of Atlanta. And, uh, and after that, um, decided to get in the brokerage business and I worked with uh, Payne Weber originally, and then had a pretty extensive, our long and, uh, um, good relationship with Jefferies and company, an institutional block trading firm. And, uh, when I left there and I don't know, 90, 91, something like that. Myself and a few few of my friends put some money together and, uh, uh, you know, basically traded equities for the next nine or 10 years and uh, then decided to get out to, uh, to do this uh, horse thing. So, uh, That's very interesting. Do you ever feel that, you know, those experiences helped you at all or aided you in any sort of way now that you're in the horse world, in the horse business, I should say? I think there's a lot of parallels to, you know, the risk and rewards in both business. I think uh, in the equity business, buying stocks and whatever, try to minimize your risk, minimize the the variables that are involved. And we hopefully try and do well. We we do the same thing in the, the thoroughbred business by... It's a very risky business, and if you can throw some of the variables out, uh, like the good good blood stock agent, have a good vet, uh, have a good trainer, have not good, have the best uh, trainer, (laughs) have the best riders, uh, and hopefully the best stock, then you stand a chance to um, survive. And uh, from that standpoint, I think there's some parallels and. I think there's some parallels in, in the uh, the uh, personalities and the makeup of the people in both businesses, too. Yeah, especially on the risk-reward front, there's definitely a parallel there. And, and as far as I can understand, owners like yourself are, are generally responsible for things like paying the vets and and the trainers and the groomers and the caretakers. And it, it's really not until the back end, you know, for example, in Authentic's case at Spinthrift, where you're really going to start to benefit and see those dividends. Is that kind of a fair assessment? Yeah, uh, and and we invest in each of our partnerships, put our own equity in it. And our partnership, Starlight, is is I get rewarded on the back end if, if 
the partners have gotten the money they invested back in, and then I start reaping some of the rewards. Uh, but you know, everybody looks at the number of big horses we've had and success. And, and we've had 30 grade one winners in 20 years, but you know, nobody talks about the uh, the ones that couldn't run or didn't run. Uh, actually, it was fairly interesting. We just, um, you know, I was involved in starting Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, and yes. we just bought an ad in one of the uh, racing farm publications, and I didn't really look at the ad <laughs> to approve it, but uh, the lady who, who who made the ad had a list of all the horses that we have sent to um, Anna Ford at new locations, and there must have been about 30 horses there. And I said, maybe that's bad promotion <laughs> that we had horses that ended up uh, having to go to new locations. But uh, um, like I said, my point is, Nobody hears about the, the other ones. Well, it's how you look at it, I guess. But in the, you know, in the thoroughbred racing business, you have to highlight the word business because that's how you. That's how Starlight stays alive, which evident in your story about Harlan's Holiday. And it's not to say that the horses that we don't know or that don't make the the front page, or well, I shouldn't say the front page. I'm dating myself, you know, or uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> who don't make headlines, we'll say that, they shouldn't be forgotten. But at the end of the day, it is business. And that's obviously what we're talking about, speaking of business. So I think Authentic is expected to breed with over 200 mares this season. And he's standing at 75,000. Do I have that correct? Well, he is standing at 75,000. Um, you know, we've owned horses with Spendthrift before, uh, before this. And... Uh, they do such a good job over there. Uh, to say he's going to get 200 mares, I think is probably premature. I mean, they they handle their stallions in the right way. They they try to find out uh, you know, how eager they are to, to breed the libido and uh, how interested they are and how they handle it. And, uh, nobody knows the answer to those questions until they actually go do it, you know. I guess those uh, are unknown variables. That's fair. That's true. Right. But and to say that he would breed 200 mares, I think that'd be a pretty safe assumption. <laughs> okay. Well, that would be in the $15 million ballpark, if that is to be true. I wanted to go back to that point about the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. That really was something that stuck out to me. I thought that was an incredible thing because it almost brings to light the horses that we don't talk about, the horses that are not making people money, millions and millions of dollars. Did you help create it? I know you served as the president and, and you're currently still on the board, but how did, how did that come about? Well, I was on a um, on the board of a, a charity called Thoroughbred Charities of America, TCA, that's been around for a long time. And their source of income for retired racehorses was auctioning off uh, seasons uh, and getting donations and whatever. And uh, they've been successful in raising, I don't know, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year with that method. And and actually, the the guy founded that organization came up with the idea of, of starting an organization. 
uh, where mandatory, where you had the industry have mandatory uh, contributions to help take care of the horses. And so we'd have one board meeting. I was on the board and we'd have one board meeting and they'd talk about it. Well, well, we'll talk again next next board meeting. And after about the third board meeting, nobody took any action. So I raised my hand. I said, "But well, are we ever going to do this thing or not? And then the, um, the head of the thing said, well, why don't you do it for us, representing TCA? And so he sort of embarrassed me into doing it. So that's uh, that's how I got involved, and uh, I just got on the phone and called some of the people I know in the business, and we had a, a meeting the Friday, Thursday or Friday before the Belmont that year, and uh, TCA still remained involved, but we decided for a number of reasons to become an independent uh, new organization, and uh, you know we got the Breeders' Cup and uh, Jockey Club in Keeneland to give us some seed money. That's big. And, um, then we were sort of off to the races and I think, uh, this last year, uh, and I'm not that involved in the operations, uh, of it right now, but, uh, I want to say they raised three and a half million dollars, uh, for the horses this last year. That's great. They do a real good job of, uh, I think the, the best thing they do, uh, is to make sure they go through a, a pretty big uh, project to make sure where these horses are sent or qualified to handle them. So, um, but hopefully Jimmy Bell, who was this uh, president after me is now just started his, uh, um, again, and, uh, he's very centered and, and focused on, on trying to get this three and a half million dollar, uh, figure up to, you know, double digits, you know, 10, 11, 12 million dollars. And, and hopefully we can get uh, some cooperation from the industry to, to get back to what the original thing was, was making mandatory contributions, you know, like the claiming horses or the, you know, the tracks per start and the owners at the sales and, you know, and you never can have enough, um, but anyway, that's sort of the story on the TAA and my involvement. Yeah, and, and I think that's the right approach. I hope, you know, I hope that they can raise those kind of funds. I mean, from what I've seen already, millions have, have been raised, as you've said, and I think over 10,000 horses have been retrained and rehomed and uh, retired racehorses, I mean. That's a great thing. I think to the casual observer, and I could be off on this, and, and I would identify as one. I I've always loved the sport, but... Truthfully, there's a lot about it that I that I don't know and I don't understand, and and I, I hope to understand things that that are more of a mystery to me as of right now. But to the casual observer, I feel like there's equal parts excitement and equal parts I don't know if sadness is the right word, but like you know when you don't see a horse perform, and God forbid if you see a horse get hurt or have to be put down, there's that side of the business, and it's a very I think it's a very public side, especially if you're at the track and you're watching these races. So. What the TAA has done and what it aims to do, I think, is is an incredible thing. I mean, yeah, I think I think the eight bells incident, uh, if you'll recall, and I guess we're all dating ourselves, but uh, <laughs> sort of was 
that sort of it was right when we started this thing and it, everybody had a real awareness of of what happens to these horses uh, especially the ones injured and, uh, and what happens afterwards so uh I mean, it's a when and if thing that at some point horses are always going to get injured. I mean, these are the most finely tuned athletes, you know, that we probably have roaming the earth right now. So I think awareness, you know, to that side of the business, if it if it can be raised, then that would be tremendous. In your opinion, does horse racing have any problems attracting a younger audience? Where would you say the world of horse racing is as we enter 2021? Uh... I think I think there are a lot of reasons why maybe the uh, younger group is not grabbing hold of it. Uh, although I just uh, hired as my racing manager uh, uh, Carmen Bloomberg, um, who just completed the uh, Flying Star program, and he's geez, how old is he? Twenty-five. Oh wow. Yeah. And then I've got another young lady working with us who's uh, probably same age. Uh, she went through the program too. And, um, and then my daughter, who's over at Irish Stud right now, she worked with us for a while. So, you know, our, our partners are sort of... Uh, Trending younger? Well, no, that's my point is, you know, our existing partners are, you know... 40s, 50s, 60s, something like that. And I think we need to, to get some younger blood in, into Starlight anyway um, and to the industry as a whole. Um, you know, why they may not be interested. I mean, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> you know, this is a, another example. You know, Belinda Stronic down at the um, um, Gulfstream start the, the Pegasus and actually I, I was involved in starting that thing too, but uh, her whole idea was not so much. She let me get the horse people involved, but what she was more involved and concerned with is getting the younger, you know, sort of hip crowd and all that stuff into it. Um, the, the honest answer is I don't, I don't really know how the demographics have gone, especially since this last year, maybe we've attracted some more from a betting standpoint, but I just don't know the demographics. But I think uh, it's important that we get the, the younger group exposed to it. And, you know, for that matter, the way we started the conversation, uh, if the dollar amount's a factor, uh, there's a number of ways to go through the syndicates uh, from as cheap to that uh, My Racehorse partnership of, you know, four or $500 to you know, to, um, whatever you want to spend in one of these other partnerships. That's good to hear that you're that Starlight's at the forefront or trying to be at least, you know, going younger and, and trending in that direction. I know from personal experience being at the track, whether I was fortunate enough to be there in 2015 and 2018 for to see both Triple Crowns happen. I think just being there, it maybe it's one of those sports that you just have to sort of experience live to get the bug. You know, maybe there's something lacking about how it translates on TV. I don't know. I wish I knew. But I think it definitely has the potential to trend younger, and it would be nice to see. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Ben, that uh, getting them to the track and sort of, you know, and everybody that owns horses, you read interviews and stuff, and now it seems like 
80 percent of them say well my grandfather or my father took me to the track when i was six years old or something you know and yeah i'm uh, raising my hand to that one right now <laughs> and uh so it's sort of the same thing we've we've got to have something to attract them like i say that the um pegasus thing does a good job of getting that age group out there uh, i don't know 25 to 40 year old people and speaking, um, you know, speaking of pegasus it's interesting because i know that race just ran you know last weekend january 23rd i want to say for anyone looking mm -hmm. it up officially to kick off 2021 and it was actually a big deal in new york where i'm speaking to you from because nick's go and i may not be pronouncing that right they were talking about that on the broadcast how maybe k nicks or but the way it was spelled was looked like nicks like the new york nicks and nicks right. had won the race and it was i think it was trending in new york and the new york nicks hopped on board and were congratulating the horse even though i'm sure they had no official association with it but you know maybe it's little things like that that just need to sort of add up and resonate with the younger crowd but uh, yeah, you know, the announcers were saying, you know, there, there was a horse Saturday in the card named Largent, obviously named after Steve Largent. Oh, yeah, the and, wide receiver from the Seattle and, Seahawks. And uh, they had reached out. They didn't have him on air, but they interviewed him and then you know, reiterated what he said. And uh, it's pretty funny. He said, <laughs> can't believe race horse after me. He said, I was the slowest wide receiver. <laughs> That's <laughs> But, but, you know, more of that stuff and Gronkowski, you know, was a good horse a year or two ago. And, um, oh, yeah, Gronkowski we... challenged your horse, Justify. Obviously, you know, Justify won the Triple Crown, but I forget what Gronkowski's odds were, but they were fairly big odds and put a scare. He must have put a scare into you, as he did a lot of people. Put a scare into me. I was in the box next to Chad Brown in the... Uh, Connections, the owners of the horse, mm -hmm. and uh, I think it was Chad. I'm pretty sure he was a trainer. And um, come down the stretch, they were getting very excited, and I was getting very nervous because <laughs> it looked like for a second there, it looked like you know he was going to make. You know, he came came from way off the pace, which that's what it was. Not, yeah, he was kind of hanging back the whole way, and he was really running according to what his odds were. And then out of nowhere, he was right there. Which typically is not the way to win the Belmont. You know, the Belmont is maybe a lot of people think they come off the pace, but uh, uh, you've got to be up there fairly close. And uh, but he he made a heck of a run. Actually, we have a horse running I think this weekend uh, uh, that's actually on the uh, Derby path named Spielberg. <laughs> so uh, and then we've got a horse that might be running this weekend. Uh, in a golf stream named Tarantino. So we're, we're doing something. You know what? Maybe that's the injection of youth at Starlight. Maybe they're, I don't know if they have any, any part of the brainstorming with coming up with ideas, but maybe it's little anecdotes like that. It's bringing in more mainstream names. Who knows? But actually that, that reminds me of something I always wanted to ask someone in the horse business. And so it, it might as well, this might as well be my best chance. How do the names come about? Do they come from personal stories or is there sort of a, a business side approach to the brainstorming? What's going on with that? Well, when we bought the, well, when, when we didn't have partners, Laurie, 
my wife was real good at naming the horses and uh okay she, I mean, we we batted around, but she usually came out with the good names. And then when we started taking partners, we just um, have the partners, you know, suggest names, and then we would choose which ones that we thought were were good. And then um, since we've hooked up, I don't know, three or four years ago with SF Bloodstock, and saw uh, all all the different members of starlight uh and saul's group um, will suggest names and then uh tom ryan will, will make the selection of, of, of what the name will be unfortunately starlight had nothing to do with naming spielberg or tarantino but, oh, uh, I was, that's what i was just going to ask you about so those were suggestions yeah okay so maybe they'll both catch on and and they'll give a little bit extra oomph behind behind those horses and their careers that would be nice so we were talking about justify we we're talking about the 2018 run and it hit on something that i was always curious about so with that horse as with authentic and a lot of your bigger horses you've been part of an ownership group and i remember specifically before justify had won the preakness so the second leg of the triple crown it was being discussed that your other horse was it named audible was that the name of the horse yeah okay it was being discussed or thrown around or speculated whatever you want to say that audible may or may not run and the issue that you know was being brought up with that was the same ownership groups owned audible right that owned justify or there right. was crossover there and so i wonder in those kind of situations what kind of conversations are being had between the ownership groups because Obviously, nobody wanted Audible at that time to ruin Justify's chance at a Triple Crown. I don't think Audible ended up running in the Belmont. Is that that's right? Yeah, you know, I haven't really thought about that until you just brought it up. But you're absolutely right. Uh, that was a big controversy. Uh, I want to say that Ellie Walden with Windstar and China Horse Club uh, basically made the decision. They were majority owners of. Uh, audible at the time and they had their reasons why uh i don't know that they ever um said that the reason was not to compete with justify i think they had some legitimate reasons but i don't really recall what they were mm -hmm. but in that case, the decision was made by winstar and china horse club uh yeah it's interesting uh, i always thought audible would be the big horse and he went off as a favorite, uh, you know, in the, the Derby, and uh, hmm. I want to say he ran third or whatever it was. But uh, uh, that's the story. Of all I know on the uh, Audible not running in the Belmont. That's really interesting. I mean, it it brings me back to I guess maybe the underlying tone to everything that is horse racing. I mean, would you agree that really the most basic and bottom line quality to horse racing is hope promise <laughs> yeah that's 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 well put the um uh tristan uh, who's the assistant to todd pletcher every time we we go down and look at the new ones two-year-olds the ones that are still trained well his perfect saying is uh the, the dream is still alive so uh, <laughs> as long as out there training uh 
as a two-year-old and then as an early three-year-old, uh, I think it's a perfect saying, the dream is alive. So. It's just, it's so interesting. And I mean, you hit it on the head earlier when you are talking about parallels to the financial world. I mean, you take these just ungodly amounts of risk and reward, but then on the other end of the spectrum, it's ultimately based on a lot of hope and promise. And it maybe that's what's really fascinating to me, you know, about the thoroughbred world and why I think it could resonate, you know, with a younger audience or a wider audience. It's just, you know, those two worlds clashing are just very interesting. One thing nobody really ever brings up and you haven't brought up yet yeah, is uh, the, uh, you got to be lucky too. And <laughs> you get all the stuff right and all that, but you still have to have a lot of luck to even, even get these horses to the starting gate, you know, so. That is true. Like you said, there's probably more horses that you can name that the public has never heard of and maybe never will hear of. Do you have any stories about horses like that that were just near and dear to your heart and for whatever reason, business or personal or whatever, they just they never sort of made it to the public eye? I had too many to mention in the last five of this conversation. <laughs> I, I, I would imagine. But I thought a good place to end this would be uh, about some of your two-year-olds that you are excited about. You were talking about that a little bit right there. What horses that you own or part of an ownership group on that were two-year-olds that you're really excited to maybe potentially make a run at the Triple Crown in 2021? And we've got a horse that hadn't even started with Bob out west uh, named Bezos. And uh, he was in the Derby Futures pool this weekend. I want to say he ended up like 13 to one or something to win the Derby. And he hadn't even had a start yet. So, wow. How's that possible? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. It's impossible to me, but uh, in any case, uh, high expectations already for Bezos. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think his Spielberg looks like, yeah, it'll be okay. And Tarantino, I uh, haven't talked to Rudy Brissett, but, uh, I think we're going to try and run him in the uh, Holy Bowl. Um, oh, who else we got? We had one run Saturday uh, that didn't run any good. He went off three to five, and uh, Fenway was his name. And uh, okay, but you know Bob's got got a few live ones, I think. And, who, who's better to have some live ones with than Bob, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> You've been very fortunate, yeah, to have Bob and to have Todd Fletcher. Um, as you mentioned, you have tremendous trainers, and it's got to help with the element of luck or help offset the element of luck, I should say. Is it too early? So we're in January right now. Is it is it too early to give serious thought to the Triple Crown and – and who you're going to run in the first leg at the Kentucky Derby, or when does that sort of start to kick in for you? You know, even before I had horses with Bob Baffert, and I remember years ago reading a quote, he said, you can't start thinking about that stuff until, uh, you know, April, <laughs> first part of April. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure he's thinking about it, you know, from day one. And April but, being like a month out, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, to me, I think it's it's – it's a little bit early to start really thinking as, as an owner and, and, and as a race fan, I'm talking about that. as far as a trainer, I mean, he's got to be thinking about this for the last six months, you know? So 
Yeah, it's exactly. I think there's what's said and there's what's meant. And yes, so he's saying all the right things, but um, I'm sure it's on his mind. How, how can it not be? I mean, you speak of athletes these days and the horses are probably, they've probably been the most unaffected of the athletes by the pandemic that we're in. I mean, unless I'm wrong, can you sense that they feel, you know, what's going on in the world? I don't know if that's a silly question or not. Well, I think we're just lucky that the tracks were allowed to run them and train them and, and all that, uh, you know, just with authentic talking about the luck factor, you know, he's a May full would have never been ready to win the Derby. If it was on May 2nd, didn't like the crowd noise as a younger horse fast forward to the Derby in September, no fans there yelling and screaming. Now he's had a chance to mature and he wins the Derby. So, I mean, Bob did a great job of training, but you've got to, you got to have a little bit of luck to pull something like that off. You you know? just, yeah, you just mentioned it, all those factors of luck, right? That's, I mean, it was meant to be. And come Thursday, January 28th, you'll find out for sure if he tagged to be the horse of the year and or the three-year-old male. So I wish, uh, I wish you all the best of luck and then continued luck going into 2021. I really appreciate you joining me for this conversation. All right. Thanks, Ben. My thanks to Jack Wolf for joining me, and I wish him all the luck at this year's Eclipse Awards. Remember, it's happening on Thursday, January 28th. You can catch it on TVG. And thanks for catching me in my latest conversation. This has been Benjamin Block, and you've been listening to Block's Corner. Block's Corner.